Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us on our 118th episode of the podcast, where we get a chance to talk to Larry Vukin. Coach Vukin is the head coach at Texas 6A South Lake Carroll High School. The two, the reigning 6A state champions, as well as back-to-back state champions in 2018 and 2019. In 2022, after state championship, he was also voted a year ago this time the ABCA National High School Coach of the Year. During other accolades in 2018, Coach Vukan was inducted into the El Paso Baseball Hall of Fame. Started at South Lake Carroll in 2017 and just in one year won his first state championship. Prior to that, uh, some notable achievements were that he was at El Paso Franklin. And the last six of his eight years there, they made six straight playoff appearances. Beyond that, he's also coached Italian in the Italian Baseball League, managed Italian Baseball League, played a little bit as well. Known for his player development system, known for his, what you'll hear, his tally system as he continues to tally and create very competitive environments. Uh, he's also a member of the USA Baseball been a member of the task force, been a staff member, and being a member of the USA Baseball staff is one of the our highest honors when you put those three letters across your chest. So Coach Vukin just had a great conversation. It was just a ton of fun. We just we hit the ground running. I mean, from the start, we started getting into uh, just just talking baseball. And um, from everything inside of his tally system, how he's recruiting kids uh, it's that uh, can still get credit, might not want the PE credit, but he can help them get the baseball credit. Uh, again, just a great intricacy uh, with certain states. Certain states, I know Maryland does not allow that. Um, so it's great that, you know, here he is. He's trying to make a guy that kids that won't want to dress, won't want to do it in PE, he offers them a different outlet. When they can get a baseball credit, they get the same gym credit. And they can do it for baseball. Uh, and he touched base about that. So it's a, another good talk. I just and really enjoyed it. And I want to thank him. But also got to thank our sponsors at Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting Pros specialize in design, fabrication, installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Pros continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school, and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. So big shout-out to them. I uh, love seeing those guys at the ABCA. And uh, appreciate Coach Vukan and uh, just uh, amazing conversation and amazing baseball guy, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Be ready because we're hitting the ground running with a ton of great things down to the smallest details. Great stuff, Coach. Really appreciate it. Here he is. Head coach at South Lake Carroll, Coach Larry Vukin. 
the basic stuff is what's good. I mean, if you, if, if, if you, a lot of it is the motivational stuff. I always find very interesting. Whoever's doing the motivational stuff to see mm-hmm. if that changes every year. Um, you know, it's, it's the compete clause. I call it, you just gotta, you know, Tulo does a really good job. Coach Tula Witzke does a really good job. Um, you know, I work with him with USA all the, and this, the last two summers and stuff. And he talks about it all the time that um, he calls it the compete clause, you know, is that, I, he goes, I had about 16 different stances when I was with the Colorado Rockies, just trying to figure things out, you know, this, this, and that. If I saw somebody having success, man, I was copying them the next day, you know, where there was a toe tap, whether it was a leg lift, uh, it was no stride. It was where my hands are here, my hands are there, whatever. I was looking like them. He goes, you go look at my videos. He said, but one thing that never did change was the fact that I just competed. Mm-hmm. You know, I just figured out that I got to be better than that guy. And yeah, I was trying different things. I was tinkering things, but what never changed was in the end is I'm going to beat you. You know, and, and he says that we don't, we've gotten away from that a little bit. We have all these trinkets and, and new drills and everything's like that. And um, everybody's doing these things, which I think are important. But if you add it with the compete aspect of it, you somehow integrate that into it. You got a real chance to have some guys that collectively can lengthen your lineup and give you a chance to compete on a day in a day basis. You know, that's a big part. For sure. No, I love that. Complete the comp- com- compete, compete yeah. clause. Like that is so good. Like, so like, Cause I would love um, like shoot from that's like right at my alley where like splitting your teams up into groups and, you know, we're going to get points for posting like a workout on social media or putting in the group text, like a video that you saw about, you know, something that's going to uplift the team and things like that. And speaking of like motivational, like that's the best thing for me. Like in Nashville was like the, the, the cultural leadership hot stove. Like, like I just felt like that was just rock solid, like what great panel for sure. But um just i I love it too i kind of find myself my always migrating or definitely needing to hear um those kind of things for sure yeah i get more from that than i do necessarily somebody just going up there giving drill work i tell you what the last you you probably saw him but the catching guy this year if you saw him if you remember him he was phenomenal Mm -hmm. i forget his name i have it on the list but he uh he's at a mid-major in a griffin tom griffin yeah carson newman phenomenal i mean yep Catch block throw, man. Catch block throw. Yep. Keith, we, I was fortunate to have him here and to have a good conversation with him. And, and, uh, he is, he's phenomenal, you know, yeah, and yeah. just loves the game. He's a, he's a Northeast guy. And, uh, so I'm from Maryland and things like that. Yeah. So like being a Northeast guy, like there's just part of that. Like, I don't know if you saw like the, um, the Stetson coach, you know, like it had did, much yeah. drill work. The second yeah, guy, like everything's yeah. running around, you know, like that's Northeast because it's like, you are like, like for it, there is a just a such a amount of urgency that when you get on the field finally you're like you know and you're trying to make the most out of it or especially if you're making the most out of it in a hallway for us like that's right yeah. it's just it's just different man and you you have a little feel but like man coach griffin is superb yes um, and yeah, just love how he walks around like i love like you saw him like walk to the stage he's got like his back with him with his shin guards you know like he's this fired guy up is man that is what it's dude. about that is what it's about man. <laughs> i loved it i i told i texted some of my other staff members that weren't there and i said man you got to get this i'm gonna give you everything you got to watch this because this guy brings it man there was a dude last year too that did a really good job with energy level I, and again i it escapes me right now but really 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 positive and really energetic and dynamic and i love i gravitate to that stuff i love that more than anything yeah i just think kids feed off that stuff and if it's genuine right you can't manufacture that it's got to be definitely genuine and those guys are genuine so yeah i love it i really Mm -hmm. really do yeah yeah 
I'm the same way. I, I definitely gravitate towards those things. And, and, uh, because like you said, I think we're all, you know, are, are we able to like still meet that kid where they are and inspire that kid or like motivate that kid and be able to really talk to, and to, to that kid to, to see where they're at. Like I said, like you said, the thing about like, I want to see like the mentality stuff that kind of like, uh, just kind of help kids kind of where they are. Yeah. Right. Right. It's a connection, man. You got, you got to build that connection. And that's the, that's the science of it, man. It's not, it's not easy, but it's, uh, I've, I've more, the more and more that I've done this and you've alluded to it as well is that it's, it's the relationship aspect of it, man. If, if the kids know you care and you're, and if that's over, over said a lot, you know, people talk about that all the time, but it's so true. I mean, if you, Mm. if you genuinely give a crap and you're doing the very best you possibly can to help this kid, um, with a lot of different things, you know, you don't place the value of the kid on whether they play and, and, you know, lead the team in RBIs and stuff. Now we all like that. We all want to win you, you and I both. I mean, that's an important part of it, but, um, if you can get that, if they come to the ballpark and feel that they trust you a little bit, you got a chance. You really, I just think you have a chance. It doesn't mean you're going to win state every year or things like that. But I do think that when they leave the program, they're going to feel like you, you added value to their uh, experience and so forth, but it's, it's hard. And that's why those guys at these ABCs, I search those guys out because I'm still learning. I'm a work in progress for sure. Yeah. Um, on that part of it. So uh, long way to go. Long way to How, go. How like, so, cause I know that you've, you've been to like the lower levels in Texas as well as to the highest levels in Texas is like, what, and what have you done to continue to build that trust? Cause I love what Jerry, if you've got the culture and leadership one, like Jerry Weinstein says, like, He's agrees with the caring what you know. He's also like, it also shows that you care when you in fully invest and you're helping these kids get better when they know like, hey, you're he's just trying to help me get better too. Because if we don't help these kids get better, they're don't they're they're not they're not gonna trust us as much. That's right. Well, the accountability factor is what he was talking about there. Is that yeah, it's not just enough to say they care to care about them. Yeah. Um, they also want to know that you're adding value to their performance and making them better. And they want you to hold them accountable. And I think that was really part of the message he was talking about. So the ways that you do that is through, I think, is building as much competition as we started the conversation on with into all your drill work and in everything that you're doing. I mean, you know, today, like the last couple of days and we ended up tomorrow, you know, our final four ends up in Round Rock. OK, every year. So there's the final four in Texas is in Round Rock. And we do a thing just like we just copied it from what the colleges do, the Omaha challenge. And so we do the, the round rock challenge. Right. And so we deal with all sorts of these, these different events and so forth. But it's the whole idea is to break them up into teams and figure out who's who can compete in tug of war, who can compete in holding their breath in the pool. You know, these kind of things with a, a 10 pound medicine ball over their head, these kind of things, you know, the plate carry anything. It's possible to put them in a position to compete and see how they handle the adversity with their teammates in those situations situation it really reveals a lot um so i think to answer your question i think you just whatever it is you're doing whenever i create a drill or i do anything with regard to a practice segment um you know within the micro or the macro i'm really trying hard to figure out what can i do to make them competitive you know and some are better than others sometimes you have to you know change it and tweak it and do different things to get the outcomes you want and uh it's never perfect, obviously, but even if you add point systems to it and put up on the scoreboard, uh, anything you could possibly do uh, to hold them accountable. And then their teammates, you'll find out, become the best assistant coaches because they're holding those guys accountable within their own little segments and teams and groups and so forth. So I think that's when you have success is when you have, you know, 
10, 15 assistant coaches on the field that are your players that are holding everybody else accountable with regard to their intensity and intent level um, as they go through practices. I think that's a big part of it. Oh, I, I love that. When you talk about like 10 to 15 coaches on the field at a time, that's a really great thing to say. Cause like on it, there's a ton of guys that talk about just like, those are the best teams are player led teams, you know, and so that's a great way to look at it. Like you got 10 to 15 coaches on the team, like you're going to be pretty daggone good. So here's a question for you. So thinking yeah. about like, uh, like, cause like right away this stuff, cause I like competing and I'm always finding ways, like you said, thinking about ways in my struggle. And if you can help me is like, how do you compete? Give me a competitive situation like you want to put in practice for like for getting jumps and holding runners, that whole like running game. Okay. So <laughs> that's a big part of what we do. And I, it, first, can I start with the with the the negative aspect of what happened last year and then I'll transition, <laughs> you know. Um, so over from 2017, I got the job at Carroll in 2017 and I had been an assistant there for a while and was a head coach prior to that in El Paso and stuff. But I, uh, I, I, I knew that with the athletes we had at South Lake that we were going to put pressure on the defense. So I knew that I wanted a three-headed monster as far as versatility in our attack in high school because it changed. Now, remember, they went in 26, I think 2011, 2012 is when they changed the bats. And so they went to BB core. And so no longer did you have the drop fives and so forth. They went to the drop threes. And so I just had a feeling that the game is going to change a little bit. Okay. So um, what we started doing is, is we started when I got the head coach job in 2017, we, the coach had not transitioned necessarily into, he was still playing station to station baseball. And so, and he's a phenomenal coach, by the way, it was just kind of his style, which was successful, very successful. But I thought, well, we need to, we need to definitely ramp this up a little bit. And if I ever did get to that position or ever, whatever my next job was, I was going to work really hard at the running game. I just was. And, and to the point where we were going to start every practice with it, we were going to have um, the input, which is what we're talking. We're going to show it on film, what I was looking for. I was going to describe what I was looking for with regard to primary, secondary, what we were doing essentially with our jump reads and everything else like that. We would show videos of, of pitchers when they're coming over lefties, LHPs, what to focus on, the reference points on the hip, the knee, all these different things. Just anything that I could do and break it up, start with video for four to five minutes, get them ready mentally for that, and then get them out on the bases and have those five bases around first base. That's how we'd start practice. Well, we we led the state in stolen bases for pretty much every year until last year. Okay, so at least we were in the top two or three in stolen bases. Last year, we couldn't run to hide in hilly country I, for whatever reason. And we had really fast kids. But I did an awful job, I felt like, of, of getting – so what they did, we do a jump lead type deal. And I, I can say it publicly because everybody already knows. As a matter of fact, they've already figured out how to nail us a little bit. But what we do is we just take two steps off. And and this is from Roberts. If you've ever seen the Roberts yep. stuff, he's phenomenal, right? So we we started using that, incorporating it into our, our system and doing some a little bit of tweaking it with it. We have some uh, different cues, external cues and stuff. But – we did it. We were really successful. And then everybody started watching us a little bit. And I think what they did is they just went long hold with a glove drop is the way at first base to kind of combat that a little bit. So this year we're trying really hard to, to get the kids to what we were doing wrong is we were leaking. So when we bounded, our front shoulder was leaking towards second base as we landed and we okay. saw it on film. And, but it was too late to make those changes at the time when I saw it, we were already going to the state tournament. I was like, no, there it is. I wish I would look film a little bit better. But the front side was leaving on a lot of our runners, even though they're 6'6 six, six guys and 6'7 guys. So the long hold, the glove drop, 
It was consistently getting us almost picked off or picked off. Okay, they did a really good job with that. Well, so now what we're doing is we're incorporating it. We're holding bands to answer your big question here was we have the group. We have five guys that are working off the base. We have the pitcher there and the catcher and they're working different reads. They're they're working their picks, whether it's a righty or lefty. We're, we're working our external cues and we'll have the guy that's behind the runner that's actually out there has a band, a stretch band and kind of like the armbands and stuff. And he's holding it with his right arm. And, and he's in his stance and he's bounding and the other guy's pulling it towards back towards first base. So as he bounds towards second, the other guy's pulling it closer. And, it's and the whole point is to condition the right keep shoulder. Him keep him closed. Keep him closed as much as possible. That was the idea, right? And I, if I would have done that last year, I think we would, because that would have been the most success. It wasn't we were picked off so much, but it made me nervous. And so I started giving more red lights because I didn't feel confidence in our runners that they were getting the system that they were understanding when to bound prior to leg lift i, I just didn't feel real confident and so what i would do is just basically shut it down a little bit they're doing it to this until i think this through well we had two really good arms last year two lefties the ones at lsu ones at duke and so it's like my assistant coach said he said you well don't kill yourself on this because you you, you know we, we just needed to scratch out one or two runs last year we gave it one yeah. run in the playoffs last year one run oh so, my yeah. So all the way through. So essentially, and these are three game series, right? So all through the five rounds, essentially. Well, if we could just get a run, scratch something together, which we did uh, plenty of those times, then we were fine. But we're, we're going to need this year because we lost those arms. We're not going to have those same type of arms. And in our district, the way it is in Texas, it's going to be just hell. So we're going to have to have that versatility of tech. That's how we start practice now. So whether it's those cues whether it's the video, whether it's rep everyday repetition with regard to visuals from first and second, we, we really put an emphasis on stealing third heavily, especially with less than two outs or less than, than one out. We're doing all we possibly can uh, to be as aggressive as we can. So we're going to put them in positions. We put our top catchers back there. We put a batter in the box. That's really just a manager that's swinging, keeping the catcher back. They get their work. The pitchers are getting their work on tempo adjustments and variations. And we're going. I mean, we're going. So I think, you know, we count it. We tally it, those that are successful. Uh, so almost like an umpire, we're tallying how many times they got there. If it's at second base, we obviously, you you know, the whole system that TC uses, which I thought was really good. Moziello, he's now obviously over at Michigan, but he's a phenomenal uh, base running coach. And he's the one who taught me the green, yellow, and red system, essentially on knowing your green, knowing your red, essentially. And what, if you're getting to 21 feet, is that good enough for a slower guy? No, it's 24 for him, probably. That's his green. For a fast guy, 21 is perfect for him, right? He can take off and go if he reads that close enough at 21. So you just start to teach the kids essentially what their identity is with regard to what their abilities are. I can do it here. I can't. I got to stretch at 24, whatever. So every day we do that and we tally it. And then we even measure essentially, you know, hey, listen, you are this. You're, this is where your green is. You know, so if we have a group, we, we take out our chart. We say, OK, this is where Johnny's green is. This is where David's green. is. So we take out those cones and we say, hey, listen, you're going to shut it down unless you get to this. Mm. Right. And so I think when you dally that and you give them, hey, listen, you've stolen eight out of 10 um, today. And then you tally that, put that in a spreadsheet and we share the file and so forth. The kids can see it. Uh, consistently. And, you know, I'll put a few notes. Sometimes I don't put that, go through all of them and, and do it with everybody. 
but I think what you're giving is some feedback to the competition. But and that really ends up being really just a 12 to 15 minute segment to start. It's really pre-practice. We haven't yeah. even done anything yet. So um, I think that's a way to build the competition into the base running aspect. And then you're also, you know, we do the tallies on, are we picking guys off for the pitchers, for the mm -hmm. tallies, for the catchers on their times. So you're really, you got three coaches that are working, the pitching coach, the catching coach, or infield coach is the catching coach. And then us working with the, uh, with the uh, jump reads and so forth. I know that's a lot of stuff, right? No, it was good, man. I was just, I was just, just thinking through it all too. I'm just kind of thinking of just like what it looks like. So you're saying that you have you have five guys on the bases. Um, so essentially, with with your five guys on the bases, I guess you're in first and second at the time. You have a handful of pitchers and all of your catchers. All yeah, of your all catchers. catchers. If we have two different groups that are going, we have a group in the cage or whatever it might be. Uh, okay. Yeah, it might be two catcher, two catchers. Um, that are doing that, uh, the pre-work off the T progressions, you might have a group that's in T progressions. Uh, you might have, that day might be specifically, might be a curveball. We want to get them a lot of looks off of uh, hack attack curveballs and pre-practice, um, mm -hmm. you know, arm side curveballs, trying to pull all these different things. So there might get 10 to 12 pre-practice pre stuff, and, and then we rotate it. And those guys mm -hmm. go in there and they come out and so forth. Yeah, That's a great way, yeah. I was even thinking, like, maybe that's where they can just get some, like, their um early like early work for defense and things like that too maybe to right. split up those two groups instead of having everyone stay reps out yeah, yeah that's right okay all right that's cool so let's ask the competition uh because this is man uh competition for uh let's take another pfp because <laughs> we all love the pfp and you're sitting around and everybody's got to do different things like what is your way of creating competition within pitchers fielding practice. Well, again, I really, you're going to laugh at me, but it's, it's even in my ABCA thing that I did a couple of years ago. And I, it's so true. And it's never really changed is I've gotten to the point now where I tally pretty much everything. Yeah. And we keep those charts. And then I have, I've stolen some kids and this is like notorious what I've done, but I, we, I go to classes usually about August and I go into these classes and I, um, and I try to find the nerdiest kids and that's probably not the proper thing to say, but kids that, you know, don't want anything to do with extracurricular activities. Number one, you can just tell number two, they, um, they don't want to be in PE class and they have to take their PE class at some point. So that baseball is, is substitutes for the PE class. So they get their PE credit if they're in baseball. If I can hook them their freshman year and then I give them some status with regard to identifying them and calling them directors of baseball operations or uh, analytics team, Dragon analytics team, we give them shirts, we give them titles, they go on the rosters and all these things, you know, you give them some status, you can hook them and they stay a videographer or these things, you know, whatever it happens to be. But we do that. And then so they're tallying even the PFP. So we're tallying and we have a, a system with regard to where the throw is on inside move versus reverse pivot, uh, different things like that. Essentially, we want the ball in a hoop almost. And so we want it down. We teach them what it looks like there. And then when they're doing their part of it um, on PFP on fielding bunts, turning burns to third base with a force out, they can stay low. We're, we're sitting there trying to identify and tally. Well, are, we, are we holding them accountable? Everything, whether it's good or bad, Trey, I'm going to tell you, um, you know, there's, there's people who eat way too much chocolate and there's people who wait, eat too much barbecue and all this other stuff or drink too much, or whatever it happens to be. I tally way too much. 
high on tally carbs, I guess is what it is. And people make fun of me. I got coaches all over on me. I'm like, man, it just ask Vukan, he's going to tally it. You know, it's what, and, you know, and, and, and again, they're also, the big part is not so much the tallying, as you know, PFP is an example. Any, the reason I do it is to answer your question is because I think that when you tally something, you're holding kids accountable. Mm-hmm. And when you're holding kids accountable and they know there's a consequence, you know, and I'm not talking about you're going to run them because they're five out of 10 only on picks or whatever, or they can't th- field a butt and throw the guy out, you know, as the horn goes off on a 4-1 runner down the line or whatever it happens to be. The, the point is, is that when you embed and integrate that into them, they realize it's a competitive situation, that they are competing against the other p- person, the other PO or the other pitcher that's on that mound. Um, in just something simple like fielding bunts or the rhythm and tempo of being able to uh, cover the bag on a pass ball from the catcher who's scrambling to throw it back as the runner's coming down, uh, these kind of things. And his eyes don't go off the ball because we throw the dummy at him and he gets nailed and he's still holding the ball. <laughs> you know, these kind of things. It's just, there's just a lot. But, you know, the those kids that we take, those nerds, uh, we call them those phenomenal kids, they, we, they essentially become... Um, you know, a big part of the program and part of their, part of their grade is to put it into the Excel sheet with the algorithms. And then we just, it's a constant adding and all they have to do is add it in there, you know? And so we have a running percentage throughout the year on our PFPs or on, on jump reads on all the things that we're talking about, not even talking about bunts and um, situational hitting, being able to hit behind the runner, everything is tallied. And so it's overkill. There's no doubt. But it's not as hard as you think it is. Everybody always tells me that's a lot of work to do, a lot of input. I don't do any of it. You know, I coach, I create the schedules. I just, I teach the kids. I spend some time with the new kids in August on what an HHB looks like. I teach them what what success looks like here. Um, These are attempts. You tally the attempts and then you tally the successful ones. And then you get an easy percentage and then you rank them in the Excel sheet. It ranks itself based on the algorithm. And then it's running. It's a pivot table. It just continuously runs as you enter it in there. And so I don't do any of it. I set it up at the beginning, but it's all pretty much done. And so, you know, the kids see it. It's friendly. It's not something I'm showing them and yelling at them about, you know, if it's really bad consistently, you know, the it's real simple. They just won't see the field a whole lot because there's other people who are succeeding. Right. But that's sure. what that's the competition. So, you know, besides the motivational piece and the teaching and, um, the urgency off of scouting reports, extracting data and saying, hey, listen, we got to be able to cover the bunt with this team successfully. They're going to bunt pretty much in every situation with less than uh, with nobody out. These kind of things. I mean, that builds competition. They know off the scouting reports what they're doing. But if you don't integrate, I think the pace of the game you're in your practice modes and make it as game like speed as possible. Um, you're never going to make them uncomfortable. And the only way you're going to be successful is getting them to be uncomfortable. Quite honestly, we all grow from being uncomfortable. Um, it's just that way. I mean, for, for, that's how we're made. So how do you create an environment that gets them to have to compete? Well, you get them to compete when they're, when they're uncomfortable, they grow, they get better, they face adversity. So I think um, the practice scheduling is the tough part because you're doing, I spend more time trying to figure that part out of it. How can I make this small 10 minute segment um, tallied. How can I get a result out of it and hold the kids accountable, make it fun too, and make it competitive and make it game speed. Those are the elements I think. And, uh, so I spend more, more time on that than I do probably on how to pull your hands inside and 
expose the barrel and drive the ball behind the runner. I should probably do more of that, but uh, you know, that's what we do. Okay, serious competitive. I'm sure like, uh, you know, I, I guess a couple things come to mind for me, coach, is like uh, thinking about how the competition changes throughout the year from fall time to like what you're doing now when you get started to first quarter of the season, halfway through postseason. How we build the competition, you mean, throughout the year? Building it and like what your feel is between like how much competitions and what your practice is and how much you're doing there. Um, how much competition goes throughout the year and how it changes, how it might change throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, it, it is different because as we come into August, uh, there's no doubt. I mean, we have um, two tryouts, right? So we have the first trial in August as the freshmen come in uh, to make the class and so forth. And even some of the sophomores that, you know, haven't quite got better from the summer and we look at it and they're marginal, we, we look at their numbers and, and we talk to them early. So they come in. And so at the very beginning in the first segment of August and early September and so forth, it's acclimation, right? So it's not as competitive, probably. What it is is more skill-based. We're developing skills, and uh, we're doing the best we possibly can to put them in a position to be uh, successful once they get into the competitive uh, area. And that segment two or that tier two we talk about probably begins after fall ball. About the middle of October, we're done with fall ball. And so we have a six-week fall ball from August all the way to about then. And then, and then from that standpoint, we shut down some of the arms, uh, really the, the high-valued arms, we call them, whatever, that have gotten a lot of work based on their innings from the, from the spring and the summer. And fall ball's over now. We shut them down. So we go into our HHBs. And our HHBs is kind of like the, the football team calls it dragon maker, and we're definitely not dragon maker. But it's similar to that. We're trying to build the outcome is this competitive spirit. But, yeah, at the very beginning, it's just it's really skill development fundies um, trying to get them acclimated to the culture of the program, uh, reacclimate those guys, um, trying to figure out, we're trying also to create versatility in position groups. So if you're an outfielder, Trey, we're going to try to move you to your second position, see if you provide value there, uh, potentially, um, you know, depending on what our rosters are going to look like and what we're trying to supplement and so forth. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, that's that part of it is just really for us to identify and evaluate and assess. And then once we break from after fall ball, we start really getting in the competitive mode up until Thanksgiving. It is all on with HHBs. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's every day you have 16 in the cages that are going for it. We only have an hour a day. So we meet our kids every day for one hour. Um, and so we've got approximately 88 kids, okay, in the fall. And so we have the softball field because softball goes in the afternoon. We practice in the morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Okay, so in Texas and in, in Dallas and Fort Worth area, the weather's really good, still hot in August. It's mm -hmm. still warm in September. Um, October's beautiful. Uh, it's even not bad in November. So it's perfect for us and conducive to be there in the morning. Okay, so we also have the football fields. Once football ends, we're able to get out there as well and spread out the groups. I'm also fortunate because I have four or five coaches that help us in the offseason um, that are just baseball. So that's really, really been a beneficial part of us. Uh, we've got, like I said, eight cages. Four of them are completely covered as an indoor, and then the other four are indoor-outdoor, but covered. Um, so we're fortunate with that. But you have 16, two in each of those eight cages that are going for 55 minutes to an hour. And we set up our eight machines, and you got fast, slow, fast, slow, repeat, fast, slow, fast, slow. So, you know, we're trying to teach them how to control their weight distribution and, and make good swing decisions 
Uh, we bought those trainers that we put in the back. So they're getting instant, you know, some classical conditioning with regard to feeling when it hits off that trainer, that pitch trainer, whether it's a strike or ball. That's been really productive in the curveball slider cages in two, four, six, and eight. Um, you know, because they get a real understanding of what not to swing at, what they need, what their swing needs to look like. So, you know, I think that's when the competitive part of it. So it's it that's when it really ramps up uh, to answer your question. The early bit, the beginning of it, it's not as much uh, competition as is skill build, building and so forth. Okay. And then when it comes to the season, as you start your season, you, know, you come back from the new year here, you are starting it. Uh, and then like take us through kind of like, let me just, uh, how much of the competition continues to weave throughout the season and when do you need to make those adjustments? Well, uh, you mean up to the prior to the first game, correct? Yeah, so, like the first game. And then when the season starts, you know, like yeah. as a typical practice, like as the competition still going to be there? Like when or like yeah. when is you have that feel of like, because like I remember just like when there's just certain back, times, yeah. right, when to pull back yeah. or like turn down, like look. We're going to go out here and you're going, we're going 909 right now. Like yeah. we're going to go, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, I think so. There's definitely, there has to be that. And I don't know if I was always that way when I was younger, right? When you're a younger coach, you're just like, go, go, go. You know, let's, uh, you know, we're constantly competing and you're, you're at them and so forth. But there definitely has to be that. And so I, I would tell you, you know, I'll give you an example. Like right now, uh, we're in a position, we've come back from, from break and, um, we have tryouts next Friday and Saturday, the official tryouts. We have, can officially begin on January 20th uh, with our UIL allows us to go longer than one hour. Okay, so we're still stuck in the 55 minutes right now to an hour. Um, so what we're doing now, again, with all the kids that now we have all the football kids. Now we have all, a lot of the basketball kids are still in basketball, will come later. But we're, we're big now right now. And so the, all the kids know that by the 20th and 21st next week, we'll have roster decisions. And we have five teams. We have two freshmen, two JVs in a varsity. So mm -hmm. we'll end up with close to anywhere between 110, 117 kids in the program uh, that are competitively playing, right? And so I think, you know, even right now, um, we are not as competitive in our practices right now as we are trying to build culture, okay? Oh. They, they, so the culture aspect of this is more aligned with regard to how they they comport themselves as they walk in, what they're doing specifically as they get to the ballpark. Okay. So as they come in in the morning around 745 or even earlier than that, the cages are open at seven. They can come in. We just can't coach them at that time. They can get in there and get some early work on their own T work and stuff like that. So they go, some of them, I mean, there's very few that actually come and do that that early, but some of them will get in there, but they'll start arriving around 745, start getting work and, and getting prepared to go. Well, we're talking to them more about, hey, listen, this is where your bag goes, okay? We don't clutter up the dugout. This is how you read a practice schedule. This is what you're doing, okay? Um, here's your band work. Here's your wake-up warm-up. This is what we're doing with catch play today, these kind of things. So um, this is how you wear your pants. This is where, how you tuck your, you're going to tuck your shirt in. This is how your locker is going to look. Um, we did today, I'm going to be honest with you, or no, not today, yesterday, we spent 35 minutes teaching the kids how to set up the machines and then break them down, how to use the extension cord that has to fit those cages, how to read the dials on the hack attack specifically and don't change the dials, the distance of the pitching machine, 
what those um, conversions look like, that those charts on how close they need to be. If it's a 90 mile an hour fastball, we're trying to replicate how to move it back, these kind of things. Um, but they were all piled up in there, all of them, you know, and they're they're all looking like, man, this is a boring practice. I'm sitting here learning these things. But I, I never used to do that because I felt the same way. If I was standing there, would I really think this is a productive practice? Mm -hmm. So yeah, to answer your question, it's not competitive right now. I mean, we're we're trying we're trying to compete, I guess, in a different way. On you're competing to build culture. You're trying to get them to understand um, that these are the things that have to take care of themselves. Here's the protocols. This is how you conduct yourself. This is how simple. It's all the way down to how you break down a machine. You know how you take care of the machines. These buckets and balls go in this shed. For these are all you know. When you see the low seams, those are machine balls. You don't mix them with these balls. We have color coded buckets for what goes in the in the cages versus what is used for on the field. We're teaching them all that. You know these are where the bands are. You know uh, this is how you take out the L screens. You don't slam the L screens. You you know just on and on with this. And so I think. Again, that's not competitive. I mean, it's going to ramp up as we go. Next week as we go, I mean, we're, we're throwing bullpens. A lot of those guys are throwing um, bullpens and so forth already. So we started that as we came back for Christmas, competitive bullpens. Um, and again, we're tallying that stuff to our pitching coaches. But that's competitive, I guess, with arm side run and all these different things that we're doing. But I right now, it's not real, real competitive. But it's about to get – it's going. I mean, we're getting real close now for sure. Yeah, you're getting excited because it's like a prime sure your favorite time. Oh, I love you get it. To, get yeah. to compete at everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, that's great. I mean, like, uh, so when um, I just, I love, like, so just one thing coming to mind, you talk about, like, the setting the machine ups and the things, like, say, if you remember, like, the story, like, John Wooden, like, he would have a practice where he'd say, here's how you put your shoes on. That's, you know where, I mean? that's where I got it from. Yeah, that's not my, I didn't originate that. You're right. I mean, it came from that little blue book, The Wooden Way. I got that, I got, I think I got that like when I was 20 years old, my dad, I, you know, because I'm from Southern California originally. And so I remember my dad gave me that book. Um, and I forget the name of it, but it was a little hardcover, uh, hard, it was, a, it was wooden with the blue cover on it and so forth. But I just remember, um, yeah, he talked, I think it was a, uh, and he was talking to Bill Walton. Was that part of it where he said, mm -hmm. Bill said, hey, listen, I'm in the part of the 60s and, you know, the hair's long and this stuff. And John said, Coach Wooden said something real nice to him. It, you know, it didn't scare him. He just said, hey, well, Bill, I respect your opinion and so forth. And uh, we'll wish you the best of luck with whatever team you're going to play for next year. And, and Bill <laughs> right. said, what? And he said, yeah, you won't be playing here, but we wish you the very best. Uh, where are you going? So I think that came from the same thing. He's teaching him how to tie his shoes, put his socks on correctly. Yeah. And so I, I don't, I didn't think about that rubbed off that way, but yeah, I'm definitely not an original in that. that, that oh way. yeah. No, it's just the little things that just, yeah. you know, there's the things you're doing every day and to be yeah. able to work where you need to. I just, that's just, it's just great. It's good things to hear, you know, like, I mean, you're a guy who was ABCA coach of the year, you know, you've been at the highest and you're probably at the highest level in Texas, you know, like you're talking to kids about putting the machines up, you know what I mean? It's just, but that's, I can't tell you, you know, like having good relationships with a lot of like great coaches, like it's like coach lost Nagel. I mean, I, I, I've, I've heard him, you know, say this, like it is those, the attention to detail that I love. Yeah. You know, and that people just, I think we take it for granted, you know, and it's, I just really appreciate just diving that much into the detail because it's so true. And it's just exactly why uh, you're as, success, as successful as you have been. 
Well, I appreciate that. Thanks. But I got a lot of stuff too. Slosh is phenomenal too. Like yeah. He really is. Yeah. So uh, he's really good. And then, of course, I'm an Augie guy from years and years ago, you know, being a California guy. Then he came to Texas. So Augie was more about, as you know, philosophical and psychological aspects of that, you know, and so forth. But his attention to detail was just manifested different. It was with relationships, you know. So you take a little bit from all these different coaches and try to, you know, do the best you can with it. So for sure. So you talked about like competitively, like, you know, how you've kind of changed, how you like at the beginning, you just never do that, you know, and, and how that's kind of your competitiveness at the appropriate time has changed. You know, as you talk about like this uh, culture and what you're doing to try to develop relationships like mm-hmm. Augie, how has that changed uh, in your time? Yeah, more comfortable, definitely more comfortable in my own skin as a coach, right? I think, uh, you know, that I don't have to be throwing every BP pitch now. Uh, we have some pretty good guys. I have a lefty guy that does a really good job, that has a rubber arm and so forth. And I'm not standing behind the cage as an example in BP. I'm walking around. Um, I can tell you, I, again, that's another thing I didn't, I didn't originate with. I borrowed that. And I can tell you, when I was a coach at El Paso Franklin, um, years and years ago, we went and played in a tournament in Tucson, and uh, I think we were playing Canyon del Oro or whatever. But um, I can tell you that I, I remember hearing that the University of Texas Longhorns were playing that weekend um, in early in the season. They were playing the University of Arizona Wildcats in Tucson, and I thought, man, boys, Texas, we got to go represent, go see Augie, and we. So we were just driving around. We were playing that night. We weren't going to get to see the. It was the first night of the three game series. And on Friday, and we were just driving around the University of, of Arizona showing the kids because we weren't playing till the late game. So we we had lunch, I think, and we were just driving around. Well, Texas's bus just so happened to pull up. And it's early. They don't play till late either. And they pull up and they're in shorts. They get out of the bus. And I thought, oh, this is great. So they filed out of their bus. We filed out of ours. And I went up to Augie and I said, I'm Coach Buchan from El Paso, this, this, and that. And he was very nice, gave me a few minutes and stuff. And I said, would you mind if we, you know, watch a little bit of your pre-practice and stuff? He said, are you kidding me? Come on up, man. So we sat in the stands. Well, it was just a coach throwing. They warmed up, did their thing. A coach was throwing behind an L screen. And I think it was Tommy Harmon, if I'm not mistaken, at the time. But he was throwing. And the and he had two groups. He had a defensive group out there that at, at positions, not a shag group, a defensive group. And he had his group hitting and um, Augie's nowhere to be found. I was like, where's Augie? And and Augie's in the outfield and Augie is talking, standing next to the left fielder, having a conversation. The kid's laughing and then he's ready. And then he's looking at Augie conversing. And then when the pitcher begins his movement, coach, he gets ready again. And Augie's talking about angles and sun and how much room you have to the warning track in the game tonight and these kind of things. You could just tell he's having this deep conversation. And then he's walking over to the center fielder. He's doing the same thing. He's just making his way around. But never was he behind home plate where most coaches are. He's communicating. And some of it, a lot of it's baseball. But it's also you could tell because of their body language and the laughing that he was he was building that relationship, you know, and that trust and so forth. And so, you know, I, I think – that is where I'm more comfortable doing. I don't know if I was as comfortable doing that at the beginning of my career. And I think I've evolved a little bit more into that. And Augie always does come to mind with that. When I start to question me and start to have some self doubt with, man, am I building enough with this kid? Have I asked him how his family is, how his grades are, these kind of things. I think that always takes me back and my vision, my snapshot or flashbulb moment goes to Augie at the university of Arizona 
uh, in that game and or that practice. And so that's where I've evolved more. That's where I've gotten more loose and involved in the relationships. And I wouldn't have done that before because I would have thought, why well, should be hitting fungo? I should be throwing BP. I should be talking to the hitters about mechanical application or where their hands are at load. And, you know, I, I just, I think now I'm probably 50, 50 on how much I do that versus where I was 95 to five on that application versus relationships early in my career. That's how much it's evolved to that. 50, 50 on the mechanics and relationship side of talk. So as like, as you're making your way around their field and talking to people, so you're saying sometimes it could be like, hey, we're going to work on this. Like you said, the angles or whatever. And other times it's like, hey, man, how's life? Well, I'm talking about their classes. You know, I have their schedules. So if I, what I typically do, I'll be honest with you, Trey, is it's all I, before practice, I go have my roster and then I highlight those I've talked to. And then I even have it, I tally it. <laughs> uh, I know this is, this is probably gross, but. I, I, it's easy to access, you know, on my spreadsheet and I have all of it. I call it the Bible and I have all these different tabs that I go to. And so anyway, I look at the tab and I call it the convo tab, right? So my convo tab and it'll tally up. And so I have it tiled. So Trey, I, I, I've only talked to Trey once in the last two weeks. I haven't, you know, gone over to him, but I'll go up to him and, and I'll talk to you if you're in center field or right field or shortstop, even wherever you are taking lie off live. Um, and, and I just have a conversation. I'll just say something like, Hey, but I'll, I'll take Trey to the date. I'll put it on my card that I put in my practice pad and today's Trey. And so what I'll do is a little bit of research on Trey. I'll look and then remind myself, I'll go to the attendance chart and I'll look at what I forget. Remember what his mom and dad's names were. If he has any brothers and sisters that I don't know of these kind of things, kind of where he is with recruiting. Um, I'll look at his grades, his current grades. And we have a snapshot of what their grades are currently and stuff. Say, hey, you're a little low in algebra, man. I've been checking on what's going on over there, man. What's going on? Is that a tough class or do you need some, is there anything I could do to help you? Um, do you, uh, you need a tutor? Uh, these kind of things. Um, or, hey, do you, do you need me to call a couple coaches with this, this and that? Do you know want me to retweet some videos for you? Uh, it, things like that. You know, it's more, what can I do for you? Okay, how can I serve you in these situations? And sometimes also it goes the other way. Sometimes it reminds me that this kid is having a real hard time being respectful in a class. And then I lay into him too. It's not all Disneyland sometimes, you know, so it's holding them accountable, but it's also, you know, when I hold them accountable, I also get it back to the conversation where, Hey, we want you to be successful. If you need anything, you need to let me know this, this, and that we appreciate your hard work and your efforts. Um, and also more importantly, your attitude as you come through practice to be open to the suggestion of practice of, of learning how to get better, uh, those kind of things. So I think, all of that together, you know, and once you start a conversation, as you know, it goes its own road sometimes. Sure. Yeah. So I, I think you just have to be willing to start the conversation. And the kid, the kids now know how I am and my act is not new. So they know when I come around that what I'm going to talk about probably or ask them about. But, um, you know, they they they're really good with it. They really do. They probably do a better job than than I do with uh, having fun with it. And they give me crap. And some of them give me more crap sometimes about my hair loss and all this other stuff. And uh, yeah, I had a beard a couple of weeks ago and they were calling me Santa Claus. And I said, was that because my stomach or my beard was white? And they said, well, kind of a little bit of both coach, you know, those kind of things. So, yeah, it's it, so it's fun. It just, it, you know, it, that's the part that happens. But again, sometimes it's mean. Sometimes I'm Hey, listen, dude, you know, I gotten two reports from your algebra teacher that you just, for whatever reason, uh, you can't stay in your seat 
or you're having this problem or that problem, or she felt you were disrespectful or this, or you kept your phone out when she asked you to put your phone up, uh, these kind of things. So it can lead to that too. Mm. Well, wow, super cool. I, uh, I just like, I, I mean, just, I, lo I just love their, their system, you know, like you've created your own little t tally system for whatever it is. And we all have to make our own, but <laughs> it's, still, it's such a system though. You know, I'm like, this yeah. guy has a tally for, like you said, you got tabs of tallies and I'm like, this is great. Like, this is just, yeah. but like where, where, I mean, where, when did that start? Like when, like you, and then, cause you've gotten to this point now you're even like, you even know a certain tally of when you've gotten to talk to a person. Yeah. Like that had to, that's had to evolve, you know, like you have this monstrous tally system of all these different things. And, but you know what they, where they are, where they're going at the, at, right. but the most important part is what you do after the fact when all this, when you have this stuff in your card, you know what I mean? Because a lot of guys do all this stuff and I've been, I've been guilty of it. Like you chart it all. And then when you get what home, do you do with it? Stays what do you do with it? That's right. Stays in the folder, stays that's... in the bag and you, you know what I mean? That, that, I'm going to be honest with you, that, that is so true and so genuine what you said, because you can tally all you want, but if you haven't laid the foundation, and I, and I wasn't like that early on, I was, and I've said this before, is that the ABCA, I said at the ABCA when I presented that time, but I, I think I started it with the wrong intention. It evolved into what it is today, but at the very beginning I did it, um, and I'm being repetitive with people who've heard me before, but it's, I honestly did it because I was trying to cover my own butt. Um, I just was. I was like, I had a parent challenge me at Franklin and ask some really good questions. And I thought to myself, this was a very intelligent response, a non-emotional response to me demoting the kid to JV. They called for a parent conference. I thought it was going to be like the normal parent thing. They're confrontational. Their body language, they're angry. They're questioning my ability, my acumen, whatever. Not the case. Very professional, walked in, respectful, shook my hand. Coach, whatever decision so you know you made, we are in full support. And when I leave here today, no matter what happens, you will have our support at the dinner table every night so that our kid is productive in class and does not know how we feel about what's going on. But here are our questions on this, on the why. And I was like sitting there going, ready to fight. And they just took my air out. Sure. And I, I just remember that moment and going, wow. Um, if I was a parent, I would hope I would handle that that way. Okay. And I just felt responsible and accountable myself. And I thought they asked some really tough questions and some good questions. And I had some answers to them. Some of them I didn't, but I had no objectivity. It was subjective. And when I leg left that mess, I, I still acted like coach. Well, that's our decision. This is the decision we're going with. We feel real confident in this. And I'm the coach, you know, whatever. But when I walked out of there, I thought they won. I lost. And I'm competitive. And I lost. Even in a parent meeting, I was. it's, it's a game. And I, I always feel like you have to win the coin flip. You have to win the ping pong mat. You have to win everything, right? And I lost. And so when I got in the truck to drive home, I thought I need to be, I'm not a good coach. If I can't communicate with intelligent people and have a conversation that's non-emotional and have objective data to back up my decisions, um, I'm in trouble. So that's where the tally system came in. And I started recruiting these kids that weren't playing and teaching them how to do it. And it started only out of live VP, our VP session. 
So we had tally years for the uh, Franklin with the HHBs, and I would shake my head or I'd say yes, and the kid would tally it, you know, and they get four rounds of eight, 32 swings, and we would tally all of them, right? And then I would keep a percentage, and then I would get all that data you talk about. We had fielding percentage off the live BP. Another girl was tallying that, what it looks like on a throwing error versus a fielding error, these kind of things. And then the base running, we had a group of base runners with one out and they're at second base. Are they taking off with one out on a line drive off the live BP and moving to third? That's an error on base running. I'm teaching the kids how to tally that, right? The girl. So all of that, I had all these papers built up to your point early on. I was like, okay, now what do I do with all of it? I'm really good at tallying, but where do I do with this? So that had to evolve over a couple of years because you're right. You start going, well, I kind of have a clue. I'll look at it real quick and you throw, in the, you throw it away. Yeah. But once I got accustomed to um, Excel-like spreadsheets and I learned, I put my time into learning Excel and I am nowhere near an expert in Excel, but I can figure out algorithms and put in add, subtract, divide and get an index number. And I can rank in there. I can put equal rank and do all the parentheses and stuff. I figured out, I took a course on that online and I figured out how to do it. And so once I did that, I just now evolved to having the kids input. They became data input people. They inputted it all. The algorithms took care of themselves. And so now I had objective data and I could talk to Trey's parents when they come in and say, hey, listen, this isn't just one BP session or a week's full of BP session. This is eight to 10 weeks. We've got, because I'll tell you this year, we had approximately 6,800 swings tallied for Trey. Uh, And then we broke it up for fastball, curveball, plus fastball. Uh, cages so we know what you would do on velo with a with a four seam ride that had a high spin rate uh, these kind of things we could tell you what you were doing right based on the percentages and so having that having that stuff i could now go to trey's mom who came in and say listen here's why he got to see it every monday it's posted when they walk in the dugout from the previous week it's a running total this is their position broken down by their position groups. It's broken down by their classifications, their age groups. It's broken down by the totals of all positions total, right? The elite leaders, um, these kind of things. And so now I had some objective data, but the whole point was to honestly was competitive that I felt like I lost that parent meeting and I had to have objective data and I had to figure out a system to do it. And I don't have, frankly, we didn't have a bunch of resources. So I just had to use clipboards and create these charts. Then that was a pain in the butt. I got to remember to copy and uh, put them in the copy machine and make sure I have them done and give them to the kids and make sure I have them under the, all the clipboards done. And it, you're right. It's monotonous, man. And at the very beginning, it was a pain. But you know what happened? A couple of things happened as a result of me staying with it is that it evolved into me now doing other things with tallying. I got better with the charts. I got better with Excel. I got better with the kids that I was bringing into the system. But now what I figured out is I got a byproduct of it. I didn't just have now the kids going through the system that were sitting there that I could have objective data and talk to a parent with, which was the number one reason early. I wanted to win that conversation. Your kid's at 30%. This kid's at 42%, the same situation your kids play jv for that reason he's fielding percentages 810 this kid's in 920 at that position these kind of things this is over mr jones this is over 10 weeks this isn't a small sample size so yeah this is what we're using objectively okay and so i had some objective data to back up things well my meetings went down once the people knew but the the byproduct was this it did exactly what i didn't even mean for it it was an unintentional i got them competitive they started because they the kids now were like, 
hey, why am I seventh? I'm only hitting 52%. And we have one rule. You don't talk to the nerds. You don't talk to the nerds. So Trey does not talk to a nerd about, hey, what was my tally after he hit two rounds of 12, 24? Hey, what did I get? Six out of 24, eight out of 24, 12 out of 24? You don't talk to the nerds. You do that, you're out of the cage and you go run. That's the punishment, man. You're not, you leave the nerds alone. I don't want them to be questioned. These kind of things, if there's a discrepancy, there's going to be some discrepancies on HHB. But over a large sample size, if you're worried about one day of, of that Johnny or David or Belinda didn't give you two extra HHBs and you're sitting at 32% and this guy's at 54%. Well, come on, man. I mean, you're, you're, you got, so I started to figure out, man, that the dudes that were winning through the eight to 10 weeks were the guys that we were putting on the field and didn't even mean that it's just because they were the most competitive kids and they did it day in and day out. Okay. Not with people yelling at them just because they came in ready to compete every day. There was, Mm -hmm. there was a cause and effect there. And so I think um, that was the best part of the tally system. That's how it evolved. And then I started tallying everything, man. I tally their their grade increases in their algebra, all their classes and stuff. We do a character index now that we do with regard to their lockers, the stuff we were talking about um, to, you know, we even have a kangaroo court, obviously not the same in the minor leagues where you're you're doing that kind of stuff, but just a fun little thing that we do with regard to um, that stuff. Um, to all to if you have an assignment of Trey's job is to set up cage four and make sure that the breaking ball in cage four is throwing um, strikes with the low seam balls um, you know and that we have enough of a bucket in there that they don't have to transition every time and we slow down our rotations um, these kind of things it's just little things man it just is and uh, but it's taken a long time remember I've been in this like now 30 years so it's uh and I've probably been doing it some form of tally system since you know, 2003, 2002. So it's been a while, man. It really has. It's been an adventure for sure. Yeah. And it's just great to see the, uh, the evolution of it, you know, and so, but someone's got to start somewhere. I think you just did a a great job of like, it's starting BP. Like we just made BP really, really good. And we, you know, and I, and I love that, you know, even you see guys now even talked about like Mams talked about it uh, at the ABCA, just like, his favorite time but it's it's a it's a such an important time where we're not just one guy just just taking hacks for one and then defensively we're doing so, like it's just so much that needs to go on and we could do a better job but that's where your tally system started and you said you kind of evolved to this shoot now you got a kangaroo corp based off yeah. your tallies yeah yeah and it's it's evolved in the more in the fall because in the spring the only thing we don't tally bp in the fall in the spring we don't we want them loose we want them playing baseball um, and so the, the practices need to be an environment that is a little bit different than that. We hold them accountable, but in different ways, the groups are smaller. Now you got four round, four kids in each group, four rounds. So you really have 16 kids that actually get the privilege of hitting on the field. Um, even though we have a group of 36 or 37 on the roster, um, some of those are POs and stuff, but only 16 get to hit. So, you know, we get into that situation. Those are pretty much the guys. Now, the only thing we do tally is our situational BP. So on usually on Wednesdays, we play Tuesdays and Fridays. We do a situational BP, um, mop-up duty, we call it, off of our plus and minuses, off of what we did on Tuesday. Did we lay the bunts down? Did we hit behind the runner? Uh, did we slash correctly? Did we hit and run? These, all these different things that we do in situational BP, we tally that. Uh, so, But as far as normal BP days, 
or pregame BP, these kind of things. We have these different types of batting practices and so forth. We don't tally that. Yeah. Would you, um, I'm just thinking about like your, like, you could use like Omaha challenge and things like that that you did. Uh, it's called, uh, you call it the rock. Um, the round rock. Yeah. Yeah. Round that's rock. Boston. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so is that essentially, that's essentially like a competition that you would kind of, I guess I'm sure to tally like the winners and like what they're doing with their comp Like it's like a competition of, like you said, in the pool, stuff like that. I mean, so that's another form of competitions that you're doing yeah, within yeah. the tally system. Yeah. We do volleyball. Yeah. We do, uh, all sorts of different stuff. Uh, it's a three-day event, and uh, you know we break them up in teams, and they wear different color shirts and stuff, and they they yeah they pictures and stuff like that. So it's such an and it, here's a great <laughs> I, because I know this conversation that I've had, especially being a competitive, and you're trying to make bullpens, like you said, you've got to touch base, but like trying to make pitching more competitive you know like like i've heard guys say like oh that's just a position player trying to be a position coach you know what i mean like i've, I've heard that make that yeah. like so how how have you the nuances of pitching competitively yeah so that's my more of my background right so i was a pitching coach at carroll before i became the head coach i was a pitching coach at bel-air before i got the head job at franklin going back and so my background's more with even though i was a middle infielder when i played um the job that gave me the best chance to progress happened to be as a pitching coach and so I kind of got into that mode and that that kind of track and so um yeah I, I think there's different ways to create this you know we've had now that I've, I've had two different pitching coaches at Carroll that are really really good um and and I think you know create different types of competition within those bullpens and we do we tally that as you can imagine with that as well but there are different types of bullpens right um so we'll break it up where it's a competitive bullpen or it's a tinker bullpen where they're tinkering with grips. They're tinkering with things they want to work on um, that are coming off scouting reports. Like if they're a 32 percent only strike percentage on first pitch curveballs, then we pretty much say, OK, listen, you're below the threshold. We need you to be to be successful. We need you to be able to drop in strike one win the battle of zero zero, we call it. And so you're going to have to work that breaking ball for strikes. So you're at 32%. We need to get you in this bullpen above 40% is the goal. And so, you know, we see progress 37, 38%. Then we're excited and we say, okay, keep building on these things. But that that's a tinker bullpen. So they're sitting there tinkering, working. Um, and that can it doesn't have to be necessarily, by the way, off of a 10-inch incline and 60 feet, 6 inches. It could be a flat ground thing. We, we chart the flat ground, too. Um, it might be something they're working with spin just on, on grip only. And they're working on arm mechanics versus trying taking out the legs, uh, those kind of things. Um, so it, it just depends on what we're seeing. We call them IPPs, which are individual pitcher plans. Um, it's not a one size fits all bullpen. Our catchers wear um, wrist and they have the pre-scripted stuff. We've got a bunch of preset scripts that we just plug in, say, hey, this is a 32 pitch pin uh, competitive. We have the batters that stand in there. Um, this is the theme of this bullpen today. This is what we're looking for. Uh, the catchers know it. They, and then we have the other pitcher that's standing behind that's tallying that. And so we make it competitive that way. We also talk about we'll go through the lineup at some times and we'll say, hey, listen, we're going to take the, the team we're playing their lineup. We're going to have them in there. You're looking at right, left, right, right, left, right. This is what their lineup looks like. And then we move the batters, the plastic batter around to look like that and kind of mirror that. And then we talk about off of the scouting report, hey, we want to be competitive. We do a comp- kind of a simulated game kind of thing. 
uh, that we're looking at doing. This is how we're going to attack this guy. And you can make that as competitive thing. Uh, you build in, you know, we tell them you go from the stretch, then you go to the full windup on every three pitches you change. So you got to be And the point of that is we want you in and out of it at bat in three pitches. That's the goal. You and I both know that's not always going to happen, but we want Trey in and out of an at bat in three pitches. So the way we conduct and script our bullpens is Trey's going to throw three from the full and then he goes to batter two. He gets in the stretch and we call it a pattern one or pattern two. We got a fast runner for pattern one, a slow runner for pattern two and their tempos now are engaging. So they decide, Hey, listen, we're going to step off here. We're going to slow play this. We're going to hold here. Uh, based on what the runner is called or identified as. And so you build that into your bullpens, right? Uh, you have a runner at second. We'll tell them, you know, hey, we have a runner at second base. We'll work our our whole pattern there. We'll go inside, move. We'll do different things there. Um, and we build that into that type of bullpen. Um, and that makes it competitive. So, you know, I, I think you, you do, it, it's competitive from a standpoint where, again, you're not screaming and yelling at them and there's a consequence and you didn't do this right. You're going to go do push-ups or run. That's not the kind of competition it's competition. It's a mental deal where they're building up that challenge in their brain, right? Where they're, it's not just go out there and throw. It's not, there's, it's intentional. There's, this is what we want out of this. We tell them that this is what we're looking to get at the end of this. We want you from 32 to anywhere between 40, 42% on your first pitch breaking balls. They know what they're looking at. So that's their focus. That's competitive to us right? It's making them have to compete. They're competing against themselves to be better. It's not the screaming and getting after them and these kind of things that, you know, everybody thinks in that situation. So that, that, that's from the bullpen standpoint, what we're doing. Um, we'll hit, we'll put, sometimes we'll take the plastic batters out of there. And if we got a, a guy that we identify that needs, that's been hurt and hasn't got a lot of live BPs, but he's on the mend and he's coming back, that's a dude we'll put into the bullpens that stands in just to take those mental reps of seeing the pitches. And obviously he's not swinging in the bullpen, but he's getting to load. He's, he's trying to feel for these pitches and get a feel. So we're working him as well as the pitcher, these kind of things. I hope uh, that answered it. No, hundred, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and I love how you talked about like flat ground work as well as bullpen work. So essentially it was like, what I heard you there was like, if I'm going to tally like a flat ground, typically you're going to throw with like me and you will be partners. And as we're throwing to someone else in a flat ground, I'm tallying you and you're tallying me in that situation. Yeah. And it's just verbal cue. It may, it might, may not even be on a chart that day. Right. But I'll okay. still, for the most part, I'll be honest with you, you know, knowing I'm really big on charts. And so uh, we'll probably have a, a system of three. Um, we have a guy that's sitting on a chair that's taken out of the locker room that's on the right field line. You have the catcher in front of him, which is another PO or a pitcher. They're not using a catcher's glove on the flat ground. And then you have somebody that's at 45 feet, the pitcher. And so they've got the script. This is what we're working on, this, this, and that. And they are tallying it sometimes. Sometimes it's yep. a verbal deal. But, it, yeah, it's it just depends on the day, where the kid is with his tolerance level, um, you know, what his uh, his speed's going to be if he's at 80% today. Um then, then it's a little bit different. So you just, I think that's the hard part too. You were talking about data earlier and that's why it rung home with me is I think the biggest challenge for me so much was in building bullpens, like was, okay, the, I've learned real quickly, one size fits all doesn't work, right? So, well, how do I, now if I'm doing all this stuff, I got two assistants who one of them is a football guy, right? And football guys are great, but you and I both know it's their second sport, whatever. I don't have a lot of help here. So I like my wife and I have a family. I kind of want to spend time with them too. Right. So 
I was like, okay, this is all great, but I, I, I don't have time to create individual, what we call IPPs. So I had to create a system on how do I give the most feedback in the shortest amount of time with acronyms that the kids could equate to, this is what you're doing. This is what, you know, and they, I think that part has evolved as well. So they know my lingo, they know what we're looking for. That's part of building the system too, is that the kids get a real read on their, you know, we have them do a recovery. So if you threw yesterday a competitive bullpen off of 10 inches or in a game, you have to fill out a chart and send it to us by email and it's quick. It's just a pain situation. So we know the next day you're going to throw no matter what. Um, even if you threw 90 to 100 pitches, you're going to throw some type, you're going to throw something tomorrow, but it's going to be real light at 10%, 20%. You're going to get your arm going a little bit after you've done your, your stretching and so forth. So we want you after you're done throwing for that day, whether it's 10 throws or 50 throws uh, um, or it's an extreme long toss day, whatever you're going to fill out how your arm felt. You know, we, we need to know that. So you're going to set it. So if you go from a pain, of, it's a one to 10 scale and you've had twos or ones all through the two or three years, we have every chart that's in there, their name. And so if we start to see fives and six and sevens, those are indicators and red flags, right? We red flag it. So their IPP is going to change a little bit in their development. You know, um, you got guys that whose growth plates haven't closed. They haven't reached puberty. <clears throat> these different things well obviously their loads and their pitch their pitching plan ipps are going to be different than somebody that's a seasoned senior that's coming back off of a playoff run last year you know sure um, and then you got a guy that maybe is really was on the varsity made it last year pitched in tournaments but then he basically just pitched jv on saturdays because he wasn't going to make the staff on the varsity but he was still with us and so then he goes in the summer and he throws 50 or 60 innings in the summer well, you have to manage that load that comes in August and September differently than you do, you know. So I think that's where the communication with the kids comes in so much is that I do everything I can to get them to send me stuff. Uh, they're not all great at it. I try to get their game changer accounts on the teams they're playing so I can at least look at pitch loads and see the hitters and stuff, what they're doing. Um, but it, not everybody, that doesn't always work out, as you know. So and also, I don't even know if at all I always want it to work out because then I'll be completely immersed every day of the summer in what where my kids go <laughs> the place, right? So there has to be some break with that. But yeah, it's a it's a it's it's a mountain of stuff. I mean, it, it really is. But I'm at peace now. Um, I feel really good. I have plenty of time. I feel like I'm not stressed. Any, I, I guess I'm stressed. Season started, but I'm not. Um, yeah, I don't feel like I did if to answer your question like 15 years ago when I was doing this, you know, um, I feel like I got a grip on it. Um, I'm still evolving. I'm still trying to find new things to tally um, and and more kids and nerds to bring into the program to get them part of it. I see that as a bigger objective for me now. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a big part of what we do. When you talked about um, uh, the IPPs and like the different acronyms, like for when you're trying to, I guess, diagnose a certain person, I'm assuming, yeah. as you say, OK, you need to really work on this. Yeah. Um, so do you assume it have like all these different types of scripts, which will be those acronyms? And that's what you would say, OK, you're going to be working on this today. And they basically know what that script is. Yeah. So you'll tell them, like, for example, if, uh, you know, we'll have an acronym uh, and, and sometimes it's even a number. It's not just an acronym. It'll say, hey, listen, you're classified as a one right now. And that one. So they'll look at a one and a one basically says essentially with a few words, essentially, that you have no arm side run whatsoever. OK, so we've got to do this. And then really, they know what no arm side run basically means 
is they need to drop their arm a little bit, kind of tinker and warm up essentially uh, with their two seam to get a little bit more run. They're flattening out uh, these kind of things. And just with a few words, they know what that means. That number one tells them that, hey, okay. So when they're warming up the next day, they're working on just experimenting with finger pressure off the two seam, uh, maybe just slightly dropping their arm down to get that run into a right-handed batter if they're a right-handed pitcher. These kind of things that are, are in the script that, hey, listen, you're 90, but you're flat. You know, we, we got to do some different things. Um, let's see what the changeup looks like. Let's see what we do with four seam here. Um, are we getting more run here? I don't see all the pins, and I'd be lying to you if I told you I did. Um, we have a pitching coach that that helps with, and it's always at every pin that they do that's a competitive pin. And so if I'm not around to see that pin, and I'm on the field or doing working with the hitters or whatever happens, um, I, the only way that I'm going to know what it looked like is when I get those those uh, response sheets or those tally sheets and I start looking at what the girls did when they inputted it. And then that gives me some I can diagnose it, go in real quick. And, you know, sometimes we also we videotape it. The videotape has been a big help. Right. The huddle film. Yeah. So we'll use video sometimes, especially if their percentages go really down and Trey went really down on a lot of different things His velo is also dropping. Uh, we have different things. We'll try to do a diagnosis on that. And that's when the video typically comes in. But I don't videotape every bullpen. Uh, sure. us usually for me, the videotape non-game practice um, has more to do with the diagnosis that's been inserted because we're trying to really look at, man, I'm missing something as a coach. Um, you know, your velo shouldn't be dropping like this. Your pain tolerance sheet that you give me is only at a one or two. So it's not pain oriented. So mm -hmm. what's going on with your velo drop? It must be mechanical. Something's going on. Um, so that's when that we bring in the video. Okay. But we don't use video every day in practice for sure. Yeah. That's just, just a different Yeah. Yeah. You're trying to prescribe a movement or maybe a movement pattern that you're looking for and you need to buy right. some video. Right. Right. And then, you know, you know, kids learn so much visually now. So when they see it, they know. So if you identify, listen, this is, what are you seeing? This is what I'm seeing. And you just give them some power and they look at it and they're like, man, I didn't realize when you're telling me to drop my arm slot, I didn't realize that I was so much over the top. Yeah. And then I'll try I'm to search for videos from the year before and say, this is what it looked like last year. And then I just take the video and put it this year and say, does that look different to you? Are you seeing anything different there? You know, right. And let them answer it. I don't even have to answer it. They just see it, you know, uh, and that way. Yeah, I was just, yeah. And I was also even thinking like part of like if me and you are working together, like well, let's say we're on the script of one or two or whatever, uh, you know, if I, like if I have my phone, you know, and say, hey, I want you to do this and then come look at it to like see like the difference. Then kids know how to do those things really quickly. They're better than we are for sure. There's you know, no doubt. You don't need some fancy equipment. And even now off the phone, you can upload it to Huddle. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a lot of work. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. So, yeah, I'm just even thinking that could even be part of the script. It's like, you know, you need to diagnose you know or like make sure that you're checking this and this at a certain certain level like you said a certain arm angle or even i was thinking like just the way they're manipulating the ball you know like some guys just need to manipulate just to kind of stay on it so like all right you need to just just get this in a frame to see that your hands are at 12 right. <laughs> wrist, angle. wrist angle yeah i learned something in nashville that i didn't know i mean at the pitching hot stove it was like at nine o'clock at night in nashville this past and i went to it and I heard a guy talking on the panel up there. One of the guys was talking about um, how diagnosing medial elbow issues now is not just an A cell and D cell issue. Sometimes it's with ankle instability. And hmm. I was like, I was like chirped. I was like, ankle instability. How's that work? And so he went on and he was talking about it. 
and essentially what he's talking about is if you see that, you know, you're looking at this kid and you're watching that foot plant at, at weight bearing heel strike as they're down is if their ankle rolls mm-hmm. towards the catcher and mm-hmm. doesn't firm up to keep a firm front leg that they're all out of whack. They're not synced. And so that is a, is an, basically is an, a key element to potentially looking at why their arm is so much more involved in D cell because they don't have the stability of their leg to allow them to rotate around their front hip and to decelerate properly, right? Not break the acromial line and all these different things that those fancy words and stuff that I don't know what yeah. the hell they mean, but um, yeah. you know, right. So I think, no. I think, yeah, that's, that's what it is, is that, and I had never even connected that. So I've been doing this a long time. I was like ankle. I never even looked at a kid's ankle to think that's why he has medial elbow. You know, I was like, damn. Yeah. So I felt like a bad coach again. I was like, shit, I got to look. Yeah. It's easy to do. That's easy yeah. to do. It just goes yeah. to show he has a lot to learn. Because I had a great co- coach. Like, I think going down that rabbit hole of ankle mobility, talk about like you could treat pitchers like you do kickers in the NFL. Normal for you see a kicker with two different shoes on. You know, you could easily see a pitcher with two different shoes on based off of like that that ankle mobility. Where like maybe you're going to wear a high top cleat on the front, <laughs> and you're going to wear a low one on the like. You like a basketball, like that. basketball. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's you true. You could literally go down that. Yeah. 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 Socks, maybe certain one. or how Tape up the front, down. tape up the ankle. Yeah, like a football yeah. player. Yeah. Because yeah. essentially, if I'm having a hard time kind of stabilizing on certain things, you know, like try, yeah, try to try to tape it once, yeah. you know, or it could be just changing the difference. I mean, there's, you could go down that hole, you know, and, and egg, it's, it's only done if it don't work. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. There's so much experimentation that goes on with this stuff. And sometimes and more than you know this, more than anything, you fail more than you succeed with some of this yeah. stuff. You just, you know, you sometimes you experiment with the kids and you got to tell them sorry afterwards, right? And say, hey man, I was just trying this. I'm sorry I messed you up so bad, you know. But uh yeah, it's it's a constant evolving of learning and I, I didn't know anything about ankle instability. I just felt awful, but you know, I'll figure it out hopefully. Yeah, it could be. It, it's 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 just that's one thing before another. I mean, but but you said like at the end of the day, I think like you said it at the beginning is too low. It's the compete clause, you yeah. know, like yeah. there's this there's the constant and that's what everybody says they're, they're chasing for. They want that guy that just does that, that just wants to beat you and everything. Yeah. You yeah. know, and th- those could be a lot of the like the anchor stability, like that's a great way to <laughs> diagnose. Yeah. But a lot of times, like you said, your competitiveness could also overshadow that you know and and you know it's the guy that can't compete he's gonna maybe you know if he's not on or not feeling as well or you know he's gonna not make maybe those adjustments as better as he could yeah you know it's funny with these major leaguers i had another experience before that uh before tulo years ago with mike marshall i don't know if you remember mike marshall mike marshall was the right fielder for the los angeles dodgers on the eckersley home run off of when gibson hit the home run off okay. of the open a's and, and the big hit vince scully's calling it in game one of the world series um mike marshall was the starting right fielder steve Sachs was the second baseman if you remember that stuff yep well marshall was also famous and he's still around and he's a great guy and i coached his son at franklin but he uh he ended up in el paso obviously but uh, he was coaching the independent ball out there and I got to know him a little bit. Um, and he, we go play golf one day and this is the mindset that we're talking about, which I, I still today call it an elite mindset. I learned more from that 
you know, I played seven years in Italy and I, I was around a bunch of competitive people always constantly. I'm competitive in nature and stuff, but it's an elite mindset, these guys. So Tulo has it. You sit down with him long enough, you hear it, you feel it, you know it's different. Um, it's just, and it's not about being gruff and macho. It's just how they think, man. It's just a little different. And Marshall, we're on a golf course one time and, and it was probably two holes in. We kept, we just literally kept getting, it felt like that, you know, we were playing a twosome. There was a twosome behind us and, and they just felt like we were playing slow and I'm awful at golf. So I probably was hindering everything and slowing up, but we kept, they kept teeing off on us before we were done with our second shot. Okay. Okay. And so they were hitting balls into us. And I think Mike had had enough. And this is older Mike Marshall. Okay. <laughs> and these guys are young behind us and he, they're walking up and Mike says, we're going to wait for him. And I was like, Oh no, you know, these are younger dudes. Looks like they've already gotten into the cart a little bit. And sure. I was like, man, I really don't want to do this. Right. And I'm like, is this dude going to get us into a fight? This, this, and that. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I'm standing there. They come up and he tells them, hey, listen, you're going to need to go play uh, at a different course. He didn't tell them move ahead of us and be nice. He didn't say, hey, listen, sorry if we're slow playing. Just go and jump ahead of us. He said, you're going to need to have, go ahead and get off the course and go play somewhere else. And the guys were like, you're crazy. I ain't going anywhere, man. This time, Who are you to tell me this, this? Like, literally, anyway, long story short, one of the dudes ended up in the lake. Okay. And I, I just remember when we left and there was no real punches or blood or anything macho like that, but I will tell you that he kind of picked them up and moved them and threw them in the lake. And, and the guy, they stopped after that, the, the beer cart girl came and it got broken up or whatever. But I remember getting in the car after, and we continued to play and they <laughs> didn't, they didn't. And I, we get in the car and I said, man, that was wild. And he said, Larry, let me tell you something. When you stop competing, you die. Hmm. You die. So he said, you win at everything. That dude was trying to assert his dominance on us. And it's a small thing, right? I mean, it's a, it's a little thing. It doesn't seem like a lot. He goes, but when you lose your edge, when you lose your competitive edge, and even you could say his behavior was bad and all this other stuff, not a professional, not a good man, whatever. He's a great guy, but he just literally just was not having any of that, right? He was just done. So that's what I mean. I mean, a normal dude would have probably just, yeah, maybe said something, hey, man, that's not cool. You're hitting into us, this, this, and that. Um, just jump in front of us, you know, whatever. No, he would have none of it. Yeah, I mean, it was just, there. it's black and white with those guys. And I think Tulo gives me that impression too. You know, he just competes. Um, and, you know, his success, he's just a great competitor and I have a ton of respect for him. And, you know, I think he hit it really clear in his his talks all these years to these kids that I saw at USA is that, hey, man, your swing may be off. You're not feeling good and so forth. But no matter how your worst day is, you can still outcompete that dude because you don't know what he's going through. So you just you just have to hey, square up, get into two strike approach, do whatever you have to do and get out there and put the barrel on the baseball and outrun the, the, the ball. Do whatever you got to do. But you're not going to let that guy win. And uh I, that's easily said. I don't know if it's practice because we all have self-doubt when we get in the box. That dude's got better stuff than I have a swing. That dude's got a nasty breaker. I don't know if I, I'm overmatched, whatever. Uh, the umpire, the, the weather, it's cold. It's whatever, man. It's not about that, man. It's about when you're in a competitive situation, it's me against you. And um, I think the more you can build that, 
I learned that early on. The more you can build that, um, the the and you can build that analogous analogous kind of style where you got more and more kids that are buying into that culture. Um, you got a chance when you get off the bus every Tuesday and Friday to compete. You're not always going to win, but you know you're going to feel good that you competed, um, even on your worst day. You know, and I think you build up enough of those, you got a chance to put something really special together every year. So I think that's a big part of it. That I, I just don't still know. Some people call it grit. Um, you know, Angeli Duckworth talks about that, that she identifies grit well. Carol Dweck at Stanford's really good at developing grit. Um, I think I'm still trying to figure out how do we get kids gritty? Um, yeah. How do I get grittier as a person and myself? Um, I'm still working on that. But those are the things that that I'm still trying to really learn is how can we really get people that are and get myself, get us into a team situation where nothing bothers us mentally. I mean, we're just, the weather is not going to bother us. The bus isn't going to bother us. The uniforms, the talking and the chirping and the dugouts that comes from the other team that uh, we're singular focused for two hours, man. And that that's with 17 year olds. And that's hard, you know, it's hard to do that, you know, so it's hard to do that with me. So that's hard to humans. Yeah, that is. In general. Uh, but if you can do it enough and you can set that bar, you know, you feel like you'll be more competitive than the team across you, at least, right? If you have that standard, even your worst day, you're going to be more competitive when all things are equal. When they got a dude on the mound, you got a dude on the mound. It's a 1-1 game. It's in the fifth. Everybody's being two hit. Uh, it's, it's nip and tuck, these kind of things. That is where it pays off in my mind. We'll get the butt down because we're going to focus a little harder because we bought in a little bit more. We're going to advance the runner. We're going to tag from first with one out on a fly ball where they're going to read that that center fielder is lazy and he catches it on his back leg. Our dude goes from quarter of the way down, runs back because he noticed it because we coach it hard. We compete with it. He gets back to first. He gets to second base, which is some people would say he's an unsound because if he drops the ball and you're still standing on first, you look like an idiot. But if he gets to second and then we, we've got two outs and we get a base hit, we go up two one, we wouldn't have scored. We'd have to put together two or three hits against a really good staff. So that that's the build-in aspect where I think it really pays off for me or for us, you know, in that situation. Love it. That's so good. Um, just man, coach. Yeah, we're sitting here an hour and a half already in. <laughs> so <laughs> just good. just rolling, um, man. I just I really I really appreciate, man. Just a great conversation tonight, man. It was a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there was much we hadn't covered um that maybe that you want to like if they feel like there's one thing that you know maybe that we haven't really touched on that you felt was maybe important hadn't gotten much love or maybe something again like you talked about with nashville like maybe something you're just now chewing over you know no the catchy like i saw that you you mentioned his name i i'm gonna go back and i'll tell you what i'm gonna break down his video because that dude is phenomenal um, so I, I definitely have a lot with him. I want to look him up. Um, there's all sorts of good information out there for sure. Um, I thought the Texas, uh, Michael Early, I think that's his name, Michael yep. Early from AM. I thought some of the adjustment stuff that he taught uh, with regard to the drills and the cages, the offset machine stuff, he was phenomenal too. So uh, I want to go back and break that down and look at that and, you know, and try to figure out how I can get better in the cages and stuff. But he does an incredible job with that. So yeah, it's still trying to learn, man. I mean, there's, that's the whole idea. That's what this does is it, 
invigorates you to say, man, okay, I took these pieces. How can I implement this? Is this feasible um, right now and this year? Or is it going to take me too much energy to learn something new? You got to balance all that, right? You only have so much yeah. time. So, yeah. Yeah, you got to manage. You can't, you can't say, yeah, all these charts are great. But again, the, the secret sauce is the afterwards, the input, and then being able to have the IPP based yep. off of that, or I, whatever. Small you know. little words, man. You don't make it this long. Yeah. You just, you got to teach the kids what it means and um, getting those, I'm telling you, those managers, man, go find some nerds They and then empower them. They love it because that's the power they have because in the social situation in the hallways, they don't have it. And so now what you've done is there. And then we teach our kids, man, how you treat those nerds is important. I'm calling them nerds. They're not nerds. You know that. But they're smart kids who are a little different with regard to their social aptitude. You get them in there, man. Now all of a sudden they're giving high fives down the hallway to a senior player. You know, it's like the greatest thing in the world. They feel like their spirits are lifted up. I get so many parents from them that say, you've changed our kid because they feel like they're part of the school, that they're not just going to school and learning and looking to get out to get to college. They're now feel pride in the system and what's going on and they love the kids and they're treated so well by these senior stud athletes and stuff. And they've got credibility with the other kids. And so now we have a competition for kids that are coming to me and sending me emails, but Hey, could we be part of your analytics team? What do we have to do? And uh, so, yeah, that's, you just, I think you start that way. You get some kids out there. You it's easy. They're your input people. I don't have time to do all that, you know? Sure. Yeah. How many kids do you have? Like what, what, what do you, how many outside, I should say managers, you know, on the nerds do you have? Yeah, it varies anywhere from year to year. Sometimes it's six, sometimes it's 10. It just depends. Okay. This year, right now we've got six. Um, last year we had seven. So, <clears throat> you know, we don't want too many of them, but we, we definitely, you know, we've got somebody up there. We have somebody in charge of the music for VP that does all the music stuff. We do the hype stuff. Um, they put, even put videos together for us for motivational stuff. You can put them in there. So you just find what they're good at and say, hey, what, what's your best part? If this, if I lay this out, what are you, what are you most interested in learning and being a part of? Um, and you figure out what your needs are, and then that's how you pick your nerds. Coach Fucan just giving us some incredible information. I just, and these are the conversations that sometimes you just get that shot in the arm. It's that booster, uh, and you just grab the horns and roll and that's exactly what it felt like man we we had such a fun time uh talking about and i just love here's a situation go what would you do in this situation go uh pfps bunt defense you know like we just and how to make everything competitive because uh, i know like it's just it, it's it's funny how many times if you're that kind of coach like i was a competitive coach that was a value of ours that's what we that's what we uh believed in we were going to compete we're going to be better competitors and so every little thing that he talks about those are the conversations and those are the questions you're how can i make this more competitive and i love those internal questions he started how can i make this this competitive can i get this result and still make it fun at the same time it it is fun we have winners and losers we're all playing games because we like to win we like to win uh there's but at the same time there's so much learning into losing there's so much learning into how also we lose, how we learn by mistakes. Because if we do learn by mistakes and we make mistakes, which we lose, then there's a learning opportunity. You know, you win and you learn. And so um, it was so fun. I, I know we're going to speak again, and I can't wait to the next time we do. Uh, as we're so competitive, and, and, and those are the, the simple ways that we, how we compete uh, and how we teach. And I uh, loved his, uh, you know, 
his definitely change of culture, how his change in, is in relationships and having those conversations with his players as he's in BP, uh, as he's teaching, as he's out on the field. Um, and um, definitely find some connection with that. I just I enjoy that. I can see that uh, as you continue to try and build relationships. But at the same time, how you're having conversations with kids about how to get better. Um, that's when those things need to happen. Um, we need to continue to find time. So, Coach Buchanan, just I really appreciate you, man. Appreciate all you've done and the great conversation we had. Um, man, there was a lot of good notes, a lot of good notes from this one. Um, just how this this tally system and just how he's able to, one, it keeps it all organized, like extremely organized. You can tell the organization's there. How he red flags, they go into a red flag. We get them red flag, like those simple things of just the extreme organization, and you have to do it. You got over 100 kids in a program. That's like a football team. You know, that's a football team. That's a really good football team, you know, in some areas of the world. Um, and uh, so that's you have to be well organized. Um, and how he took a parent conversation, which is our real world, and he learned from it, and he got better from it. He even competed in his parent meeting and said, I'm not going to lose any other parent meeting. I'm going to be objective as much as I can. There's always going to be some objectivity, but if we can be as objective as we can, and here it is over a whole sample size, that talent and those conversations become easier. So um, love that, and it's so true. It's so true, and it's uh, just a great – you can definitely see why he's just – performing and achieving at a very high level um, at South Lake Carroll. So, Coach Buchanan, again, thank you so much. Got you guys, all, all you out there helping support and help to keep this going. I, and I'm grateful, thankful. That's what this is about. This is about us. This is about the, the message. This is about the game. And appreciate you. It's, uh, and until next time, keep getting better. <laughs>